that was the opening music to An American in Paris, and it was released in 1951, and it's directed by Vincent Minnelli, who we've done quite a few of, of his movies. We were just talking about that. We've done Goodbye Charlie and Father of the Bride. Is yeah, that right? and uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. Meet Me in St. Louis, yeah. I would so we can just add this to the list of movies that we've watched from him. He he was a very uh, very excellent director that did over thirty films, and another one that he did that I like is Some Came Running from 1958 with Frank Sinatra and Shirley MacLaine. It's a part of a series of books that James Jones wrote about World War II and the following things that happened after the war. Nice have to check that one out and uh yeah go back and listen to those episodes if you want to hear us talk more about vincent Minnelli. i'm pretty sure we talked a lot about him in those earlier episodes um this movie stars gene kelly leslie caron oscar levant george gutier i'm pretty sure i not, did not say that right <laughs> and and a whole bunch of other supporting cast but those are the main characters oh, i can't forget um, nina foch Oh, Nina Foch, yes, yes, sorry, Nina Foch. Milo Roberts, yes. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net and on Patreon, uh, where you can subscribe to our show and support uh, the production of, of all this content. And we're getting closer to being able to upgrade some of our equipment. I'm excited about that. And thank you to all of our patrons. We really appreciate your support. It means a lot to us. And this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews. And I echo Matt's thank you to all of our patrons through Patreon and uh, welcome even more people to sign up and subscribe. Um, This is Matt Johnson coming to you from North Bend where we've got more rain today. Yay! We, uh, our, our opening was in a different sequence. All right. I well, we got it all in I don't in know there. if I can stand Eventually it or not. not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we've done enough uh, musicals with Gene Kelly now to kind of get a baseline. Uh, we did uh, On the Town. Then we've done this one today and American in Paris and Singing in the Rain. And, you know, the thing I noticed about an American in Paris compared to On the Town is the impact that it has when they're on location. Like On the Town opens and much of it takes place and they actually were in New York City. So you really get a sense of the the real-time events that are going on. Whereas in American in Paris, each of us that's watched it has said, oh, wait a minute, that's a studio. Even, even when they did that long shot that showed about a block of the uh, neighborhood with uh, Gene Kelly and uh, the... Si- oh, yeah, kind of near the end when they're dancing and singing. It was Gene Kelly and uh, George Guattari. Yeah, the, you could still... At least I could still sense that it was on the studio lot. So I, I just... I mentioned that because I think with special effects and blue screens and all the rest today, I've gotten spoiled at the quality of the of the backgrounds that are done. You never know anymore, though, where the, how they've done that. <laughs> it's a mystery. Well, 
now they're just all done on on green screen sets. Is um, it green screen or blue screen? I think it depends. They they can they can change it out. It depends on what they're doing. But uh, there's a new technology that that they're using for the show, The Mandalorian, that's on Disney Plus. Have you heard about that show? Uh, yes, I have. Baby Yoda, baby, all the Baby Yoda memes that have come out. <laughs> baby Yoda's so cute. But anyway, the new technology is they have this giant soundstage, and the background image is actually projected onto the onto these screens, these big screens that cover the soundstage, and it, the actors actually are acting in the set. And as the camera moves around, the the background changes like it has the correct uh, perspective and everything and so it's getting to the point now where they're not really acting in front of just a blank background they're actually acting in the sets that will be showing up in the film so the i was watching a few interviews and the actor said it's just it, it's like a game changer because now uh they can actually interact a little bit more with the environment that they're in I tell you, we're just at the beginning of what's going to be a huge change in that technological approach. I can't imagine what it'll be like in 10 years. But I have to say that I was super impressed with the sets in this movie because I once I realized that they were all sound stages, I was like, wow, these are really big and they're really well done. And there was the dance scene along the river set. Yes, yes. And they had, that must have been a pretty big... Uh, pool of water that they had to kind of give you that illusion that they're next to the river and then they had the uh, ripple effect on the water as well so i'd, yeah, I'd echo your like it was moving your uh, your comment about the quality of the sets they're, they're excellent and uh you know the last big 17 minute uh musical dance to the music of the gershwins was done on they had 44 different sets for that i read Holy smokes. And it cost like $500,000 to produce that 17-minute section. Wow. Yeah, that was a lot. That was a long musical number. Well, a little bit of background on our film. Um, it's, of course, a Metro-Golden-Mayer MGM film. They were, they were the gold standard for those studios that did musicals. They just... You really knew how to do it with the color and, and the staging and the music and all. And I think Arthur Freed was the producer on this one, as well as uh, Singing in the Rain and maybe even On the Town. He was really kind of the lead on these films when it came to musicals. And it had its widest release beginning in January 1952 and was very successful at the box office. Um, it was a real hit, and it didn't do too badly in the Academy Awards either. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards and won in six categories, including Best Picture. So yeah, yeah, 
Um, and best writing. Oh yeah, there's a long list. Best musical. Yeah, best musical. Uh, yeah, so though it was best picture, best writing, story, and screenplay, best cinematography, color, best art direction, set direction, color, best costume design, color, best music scoring of a musical picture. I love that they had to tell you that it was. In, this is the this is the award for the color pictures. You know, like because yeah. so many of them were still black and white, even for like the next ten years or so. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, I did. And, you know, I, I coming up, growing up in that time frame, I saw this movie in the uh, theater. I probably went with my mom and dad. Of course, I didn't give any attention to the sets or how they were made, but I still, the songs that were in the film are very memorable songs. I mean, there's a there's a half a dozen at least that I, I could almost sing the lyrics to today. Like, Embraceable You... work if you can get it holding hands at midnight neath a starry sky oh nice work if you can get it and you can get it if you try strolling with the one girl sighing sigh after sighing that's nice work if you can get it you can get it if you try. On and on. And I love that scene where uh, Kelly's character, Jerry Mulligan, is dancing with all those children. I got rhythm. I got music. I got my gal who could ask for anything more. I got Daisy. I got in green pastures. My gal who could ask for anything more Old man trouble I don't mind him You won't find him Round my door Vous comprenez ça? No! I got Rhythm I got Music I got My gal who could ask for anything more Who could ask for anything more Oh, I think that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it just was so joyful, and he did that kind of call and response with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the one that he did where he's dancing with the two uh, older women. The waltzes of Middle Europa, they charm you and warm you within, while each day discloses what Broadway composes is emptiness pounding on tin. Mein Herr! Mein Herr! Bitte, bitte! Danke, danke! Auf Wiedersehen! Yes, that was so great too. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, it was uh, one thing. One thing I thought about during that scene with the two older women, because it was in like the little cafe yeah. there, and and I thought, you know, they they turned this little sort of dumpy cafe into this amazing musical number, and I was so sucked into it, and and I was thinking that's how much talent they had. It didn't take a lot to 
to of set dressing and all that to make this an amazing dance number. It's just their talent just shown through. Oh, I think, you know, last podcast we saw the dancing of James Cagney, and now we've seen the dancing of Gene Kelly. It uh, makes me think we should probably include soon a Fred Astaire movie for his dancing to see the... Yeah. Because Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly were at the same studio for much of their careers, but their style of dancing is really, really different. Nancy's a big fan of Fred Astaire. I'm a big fan of Gene Kelly. Fred Astaire is like the sophisticated, elegant dancer, and Gene Kelly is much more athletic. Well, it was it wasn't his background in ballet as well, so he. Well, his background is all over the place. I looked him up. Gene Kelly, you mean? Yeah, yeah Gene he's a, Kelly. He, had yeah. A grad, he graduated from the University of Pittsburgh and was accepted to their law school. He was going to go into the study of law. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> but something. Well, something, something he, changed because that sure didn't He and his happen. brother decided they'd take a different avenue. But it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, the ballet was probably a part of his background. But... Uh, so I read that uh, the his co-star uh, Leslie Caron, yeah, Caron, Caron, Caron. Well, that's how I pronounce was, it. Was was a was a ballet star in Paris, and Gene Kelly and I forget he was with another person saw Leslie perform, but didn't have a chance to talk to her after the show because she had to get home. I think she was only like seventeen or eighteen at the time, <laughs> and so he he had his eye on her as somebody that could potentially be in a, in a movie. And then, so when this opportunity came up, he said that he specifically wanted somebody who was from France. Like he didn't want an American actress portraying a French person. So, so Leslie was the, was the go-to for that. And she didn't even know who Gene Kelly was. She'd never seen any of his movies. So it was just sort of like, okay, this American wants to put me in a movie. I'm, I'm just imagining, like, the conversations that she had at home with her parents, you know? like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think when she did this film, she was only 19 years old. Yeah. And uh, yeah. this was her first film. Not a bad film to start out with, with a Best uh, Picture Academy Award. Well, and then Kelly. she went on to... S- yeah, and then she went on to star in G- uh, Gigi. Yeah, Gigi. And... Which was another huge hit. Well, and then... Um, just in this past couple of years, we're, we're, uh, Nancy and I uh, were fans of a series that's no longer on PBS called The Durrells of Corfu, which was a true kind of a true story of a family that moved from England to Greece. And who should appear as the elderly matron in the film? Leslie Caron. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, she's wow. Still, she's still uh, doing well. She's 88 years old. And she did a great job in the film The Dorels of Corfu. If anyone has not seen that, that's a series that's probably available through several sources. There was a three-season series that's excellent, and she was excellent in it. So, And, of course, Gene Kelly. Um, you know, we had a conversation yesterday about his character and how it was, and I got to thinking about that because I've watched him in dramas like Inherit the Wind, and uh, he has that kind of style in in that movie as well. Um, so I think what we're seeing there is a bit of just his approach to the to the acting. 
Yeah, I wanted I wanted to touch on that, but I wanted to wait until we kind of go through the plot. Yeah, a bit. okay. Um, so uh, the Oscar Levant's character, he actually wasn't. He plays Adam Cook, who's the pianist, <laughs> yes. and he actually wasn't. He wasn't an actor. He is actually like a concert trained pianist, and was friends with the Gershwins. And so he got the part because of that. But he was so funny. He was like the perfect like deadpan straight person to like Gene Kelly and George's character, Henry Burrell. That scene where the, the two of them are talking about how madly in love they are with this woman. Ha! Wonderful. Marvelous. She should care for me. With the, the same, same person, person, and he's the only one that knows that it's the same person. He's, he's like chain smoking, ordering drinking, more drinks. Yeah, he's drinking coffee, <laughs> cognac, and he's look. He's got this look on his face, like, "What do I do?" He was he was in a lot of films, and he had a. You're right. He had a really unique approach. We went to see a play at the uh, Gary Marshall Theater about how he m- kind of showed up and moved in with one of the Marx Brothers. He was he was he was just kind of a. Uh, unpredictable guy in real life and it was really a well done play so yeah Oscar Levi, he, he I can't think of a better person to play that role yeah he was perfect as that role I love the introduction of the film where they kind of each introduce themselves and <laughs> and it kind of like it goes to one scene but he says no 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 that's not me I don't look that rusty <laughs> and then it goes to another scene <laughs> Oscar Levant, Adam oh, Cook, yes, yeah. and those <laughs> that uh, scene where he's playing all those parts at the symphony, the piano, the <laughs> yeah, he plays all the parts in in that dream. Yeah, there was that was kind of pattern off of an earlier movie that was um, by it was a silent film actor who did all those crazy stunts, you know, like with the building falling over him and. Like trains about to hit him. Oh, oh, I know um, what you mean. Oh my! Not Charlie no. Chaplin. It was. I'm gonna groan when we find it. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 so hard when I, I I have it at the tip of my tongue. It'll come to us as we move along. But uh, Oscar Levant, yeah, he he was in several films and he kind of played that same role, the chain smoking, ad libbing. Uh, kind of the foil, <laughs> Buster, Buster Keaton, Buster Buster Keaton. Yeah, that dream sequence. It may have been a tribute to a Buster Keaton uh, sequence in the Playhouse from 1921, where he played every role: the conductor, every member of the orchestra, stagehand, all nine actors on the stage, and each member of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's touch on uh, Georges George Jatari. I gosh, I I feel bad that I'm not pronouncing that right, but. He he was a he was a very debonair kind of a guy and and uh, I thought he played off well against Gene Kelly's character you know kind of a contrast. Oh, it was perfect, and he had a beautiful that suit that that blue double-breasted suit he had on. I wanted that. 
when I watched it. I thought that that is the best looking suit I've seen in a year. Yeah, it's a it's a good looking <laughs> suit. Yeah, it's got those real wide shoulders too. Yeah, it, it like, does. Uh, and then Nina Foch, you you said that she's one of your favorites. Oh, she is. Yeah, she um, she did a lot of different roles. She had her own film school here in Los Angeles for a number of years. Was very successful at that her acting school. I mean, uh, and she she plays sort of the the rich elderly. Although I don't think she's that old, but she's older than she's supposed to be older than Gene Kelly's character, and she's sort of his patron saint you would say i guess like comes in and wants to help him with his art career and also maybe wants to kind of like hang out with him in other ways (laughs) i thought that was an interesting scene where she takes him to the studio that she's rented for him and he can't believe it and and he spends some time on film looking at the quality of the paints sit right down here and let's see if i can explain this thing to you now look, more than anything in the world, I want to have an exhibition. But it's got to be when I'm ready, when my stuff is good enough to show to the public and the critics. Now, you can't set a production date for a thing like that. Don't you understand? I, I'm not manufacturing paper cups. I do understand, Jerry. Yeah. But you're a painter and you want people to see the things you've painted. I want that too. Just give me an opportunity to provide a decent show at a decent gallery where people can come and see your things. Is that so extraordinary? Look, you're a painter and a good one. I happen to have a little drive. That's a good combination. Besides, you have to face the critics sometime. Yeah, but three months. Of course, it'll be work, hard work. Well, that doesn't matter. It, it, it... I'll do it. On one condition. I pay you back. Oh, Jerry, I'm so glad. I would have died if you'd said no. I, th- yeah. I thought that's... He yeah. was like, wow, I, I could never afford to buy this level of quality. And the paper and all. And she wants to have him produce a bunch of art in the next three months so that they can have an art show. And she says, it's going to be a lot of work. And he decides that it's he's going to do that. And I thought, boy, what a cool opportunity. You know, you're you're an artist <laughs> in Paris and this woman comes in and gives you like this huge space and all this amazing all these amazing supplies and then wants to help you with a show and be like, "Why well, why not?" Okay, sure. <laughs> he knew something was up when she showed up at his little gallery that he set up along the wall. And then the car that she's in comes along a little bit later. I've yeah. never, I, I still that don't know what kind of car that was, but I was like, I'll take two. Oh, there were some great oh, cars in the really? movie. Really? There was a little green, it looked like English sports car uh, in that oh, scene yes. where they they kind of pull back and there's, you know, the the, the uh, Adam and Jerry are dancing and singing together. That, that car, I'd love to have that I'm car. I'm thinking it was an MG, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, kind of look like it. Whenever we refer to the uh, singer Georges, I'm just going to refer to his character Henry. Cause yes, I, I think I, so gonna... too. It'll be less painful for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so Jerry is a struggling painter artist, and his upstairs friend Adam Cook is a struggling pianist 
who we find out has never done a concert. Yeah, it's kind of weird because he's a concert pianist never who's never concert. done a concert. <laughs> and then, then along comes Henry strolling in his in his deluxo double-breasted suit, and he's just he just reeks of wealth and success. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's a stage actor singer as well. What a right? voice! So he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. We find out later that he's the star of a show there in Paris. And has a lot of clearly has a lot of money because he's like uh, Jerry says I need to borrow three hundred dollars <laughs> or three hundred francs, and Adam's like I don't I I could barely scratch two you know nickels together and and then Henry says well I'll let you borrow three hundred and then Jerry says I know I don't ask to borrow money from anybody I've known for less than fifteen minutes <laughs> <laughs> yes so Oscar Levant's character says I'll take the money and then he just turns it over to Jerry. <laughs> But yeah. I, uh, Henry's voice when he when he uh, had his moment in the sun, at his at his uh, theater, singing "Stairway to Paradise," that voice is amazing. Yeah, that, was, that was beautiful. But even even right right from the get go, they have a little number there in the cafe, the three of them. Uh, and that was yeah, I think yeah, no, think, yeah, they, so. they do. I think it's uh, is it nice work if you can get it. Uh, I think so. There's so many but. good songs in this. I just you know sometimes I'll go to a musical and I don't remember many of many of the songs, much of the music, but this one sticks with me because of the Gershwins. They, I mean, they just mm-hmm. were so prolific. It must have been a real treat for Oscar Levant to be in the play or in the musical and. Uh, be playing the music of the Gershwins, and he knew them. He needed to cut back on the cigarette smoking, though. My goodness sakes! Whew. Yeah, there were seventeen different songs in the in the movie. I just looked it up. Oh man! Yeah. So they they uh, do that opening. Jerry and and Henry do the opening number, and then they dance with the two women, and everybody has a great time. We kind of meet the three, the three main kind of friends in the movie at the beginning there. And then we, and then we kind of the next I think thing would be uh, we find out that Jerry hasn't sold any paintings in ever maybe I, I don't, don't know, know. like well he had, his sales technique is horrible when that other young woman comes by uh, to look at the paintings and she wants to critique his paintings and he gives her the brush off and in in so many words sends her on her way and then I'm looking at that woman at the uh, at the display. She was in the old Superman television series. She was Lois. She played Lois Lane. Yeah. (laughs) Who is that? Who is that? that. She looked familiar, yeah. He wasn't very nice. In fact, he wasn't very nice then, and then he wasn't very nice at that supper club a little bit later where he can't pay attention to anybody at his table because he's looking at Leslie Caron. Yeah, so let's... so. So yeah, there's a scene on the streets of Paris where he's trying to sell his paintings, and this young woman comes by, who's an art student, or like a, a he he calls her a third year because he says that it's these these university students come over in their third year to get culture and experience Paris, and he's so dismissive of her, and it's just it's so awful. Like he's so unlikable in that scene. I I thought very much so, and and also in that restaurant. Then, yeah, and then this woman pulls up or walks up, who's played by Nina Foch, who's Milo Roberts, and she likes uh, his paintings and decides that he wants she wants to buy a couple of them, and he can't decide how much to sell them to her for, so she says fifteen thousand francs, and he's like, "Whoa, okay," <laughs> but that is like fifty bucks each or something like that. Yeah, 
Which I guess was a lot of money in 1951. Oh, it would have been, yeah. Especially for him since he had about four cents in his pocket. Yeah, and then and then this this driver pulls up in this uh, this huge car, and we find out that she's got a lot of money and and is kind of independently wealthy from her father who sells suntan oil. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I I've never thought of getting rich with suntan oil, but why not? Yeah. And then she invites him out to dinner, and he gets all indignant, thinking that she's propositioning him, when really she's just trying to like wants to like get to know him better and and so like i think from the scene with the young university student up to the next scene in the cafe i really didn't like jerry's character like i just thought he was a real jerk he was in that apartment with milo good evening i'm sorry i'm late good evening the moment i went into dress the phone started ringing like a a steeple on sunday would you like one of these fine fine I've never seen so many Americans in Paris before. The Champs-Élysées looks just like Main Street. Uh, do you uh, live here all the time? Oh, no. I, I usually go home to Baltimore for Christmas and Thanksgiving. That's uh, quite a dress you almost have on. <laughs> Thanks. What holds it up? Modesty. Cheers. Cheers. I see it's a formal brawl after all. What makes you think that? Well, the uh, more formal party is, the less you have to wear. Oh, no, you're quite wrong. It's most informal. Where is everybody? Here. Downstairs? No, here in this room. What about that extra girl? Uh, that's me. Oh, you mean the party's just you and me? That's right. Oh, I see. Well, it's kind of a little joke, isn't it? In a way. Well, lady, here's your dough back. I'll take my pictures and run along. Now, wait a minute. Wait my foot. You must be out of your mink-lined head. I know I need dough, but I don't need it this badly. If you're hard up for companionship, they have guys in town who do this kind of thing for a living. Call one of them. (laughs) What's so funny? You! You're so righteous! Now, stop defending your honor so assiduously and listen to me for a minute. I don't need a paid escort. And I'm not trying to rob you of your precious male initiative. I'm simply interested in your work and I want to get to know you better. Now, is that such a crime? Well, it uh, certainly is a roundabout way to do it. Would you have accepted a normal invitation? No. I want to help you. I think you have a great deal of talent. Now, it doesn't hurt to have somebody rooting for you, does it? It'll be the first time anybody ever did. Well, then, let me. He says, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a paid escort, essentially. Yeah. Forget it. But then it gets, it gets worse, oh, yeah. though, because then they go, out to, they, go, they go out to dinner, and he's there with Milo, with these other people, and he can't, he can't take his eyes off of Lise, uh, who's played by Leslie Caron. Sir, I didn't see you sitting here. I'm Gosh, what a pleasant surprise. Well, just the other night, my wife and I were talking about you and wondering what happened to her. I'm Jerry Mulligan. Lisa, let's go around the floor once for all time's sake. Do you mind? No, but you do. Well, you certainly not without your nerve. Now, 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 don't get angry. This was perfectly harmless. I haven't been able to take my eyes off you since I walked into this smoke factory. I only let you do this because I didn't want to make a disturbance. And I don't have a wife. 
I just threw that in to make it look respectable. Oh, that was very considerate. Now, please, I would like to return to my table. In a minute. It's very clear. Our love is here to stay. I revise my estimate. Make that two months. Please, sir. Please, sir. I swear this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. Well, at least as a civilian. I, I, I just had to meet you. Look, monsieur, I don't know what type of girl you think I am, but I'm not. And now I would like to return to my friends. I thought you were bored with them. You sure looked it. You should see me now. Ouch. The music has stopped. The elements are against you. Lisa, it was swell seeing you again, and I will tell Elaine to call you. Uh, what is your phone number? I, it just slipped my mind the moment you said it. Oh. Upper at 2574. No, Lisa. 2475. Thank you. Good night. Hi. Hello. Well, I'm, I'm tired. Good night. Good night, darling. I'll call you. Yes, good night, Milo. Good night. Jack, say good night, Milo. Good night, Milo. Good night, Jack. Don't I owe you something for the wine? Forget it. You do it next time, if there is one. Uh, and it was so uncomfortable it was like it was like i was squirming in my seat watching the way that he acted toward her and she was so not interested in him and it was trying to brush him off and i thought wow this is this is awful and then uh, kind of simultaneously the milo's character is uh talking to that other guy who thinks that this will just be another one of her three or four month flings and then he later says it might not even last two months when he's watching yeah. what uh, Gene Kelly's character is doing in terms of trying to push his way so, into Lisa's life. So I, so I want to read something to you that is a comment on IMDb, and I want to, I want to see what you think about this. So, um, all right, here, here we go. While in recent years many have balked at the Best Screenplay Oscar awarded to Alan J. Lerner, his script is actually quite ingenious in its ability to dodge the censorship of the era in telling a story the production code would likely have damned in another writer's hands. At its core, An American in Paris is the story of two kept people who are unable to commit to one another for fear of losing what little security they have. As Lerner manages to convey the dark corners of this disagreeable scenario without explicitly stating any of it, and without sacrificing the audience's compassion for his characters, one could argue that the Oscar was not only appropriate, but actually well-deserved. And uh, I don't know who... It's on IMDb. I don't have the person who wrote it. But um, it kind of got me thinking about the fact that... Yeah, I, I, I get that. Like, like, like Lise was, was kind of kept by Henry in a way because Henry was rich yeah. and was kind of promising her, like, some things, you know, that she was wanting. And then Milo was rich and was kind of keeping Jerry and, and promising him some things. But really, uh, Jerry and Lise were supposedly supposed to be falling in love, but they couldn't. 
really commit to each other because they were afraid that they wouldn't then have those opportunities that these other people, Milo and Henry, were offering them. And I think that's right, but the way that they executed that was so uncomfortable and, and odd, you know? I think that... To me, anyway. I think, uh, at times, like in the... The code came in in the early 1930s and then kind of died away in the 1960s. I think there were several films, and some of which, some of those we reviewed, where the writers were trying the best they knew how to tell the story that they wanted to tell and still get it passed by uh, the Hayes office for production standards. And I, I could see that this might have... But was it as deliberately designed to do it that way? I don't know if Mr. Mr. Uh, uh, the, the writer, the screenwriter. I don't. Lear, learner. I don't, I don't learner. know if he set out to write it that way, but it. I mean, because I, I think I think a slight tweak, just like a very slight tweak to that scene in the diner, would have made a huge difference to how I felt about this movie. So if if when they sat down, Jerry looks over and sees Lise Bouvier, and Lise looks over and sees Jerry, and they sort of lock eyes for a second. And there's like this this moment of like chemistry, like that instant connection between the two of them. But then she has to kind of like pull away and pretend like, well, I can't, I can't be with this guy, even though I'm feeling like this attraction to him, because I I'm with Henry, and Henry is you know my, for lack of a better word, sugar daddy, <laughs> and you know like, but then and then also if Jerry had been a little bit like like softer in how he approached Lise. And so it didn't come off quite so much as like a masochistic sort of like you belong to me kind of a thing that, that would have set it up a lot better for me at the end when they, when they do spoilers, when they do get together at the very end, because I would have felt like they had that connection from the beginning, but I really didn't feel any connection between them until maybe that scene on the river when they dance yeah, together down, down along the river. Well, you know, I, when we do these musicals, some of them are uh, set up for the music, and the story just kind of connects it from one song to the next. I know we've talked about that when we've, when we've reviewed a couple. With this one, there's more of a story, and uh, yeah, it, there's more of an edge to, uh, to Jerry's character than, than might have been there. That might have also been the work of the director in terms of that's what he wanted to achieve. Uh, portray yeah i thought about that this morning as i was getting coffee i thought you know it may have been a combination of the director and also leslie was this was her first acting role and maybe in a in the hands of somebody who was more experienced they, they could have pulled off a little bit more subtlety in that scene and maybe that would have made the difference but i don't know i mean the way that it was presented it just left me feeling kind of cold and I just felt like Jerry was kind of an angry person you know like he had a lot of anger issues that that he was not dealing with and he was taking it out on all these people around him well if we wanted to go even deeper into that maybe maybe that's a part of the character because he had, he says at the opening of the film the war he'd been in he'd been in the service in Europe and he didn't come back to the United States he was going to stay in Paris so you know again the effect of that that horrible war on him might have made him a bit of the way he was as well. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. It could, he, yeah, he could be dealing with a lot of 
post-traumatic stress after the war and his way of dealing with it was to kind of lose himself in painting but but really not i mean he never really sold anything he never really produced that much so it was more like he was just kind of hiding out in paris i feel yeah like. yeah he and his friend adam i just found the uh the music that is my favorite in the film it it's kind of i think we've already passed that part of the film i got rhythm is the one where he's singing to those children oh. and he yes, goes back and yes. forth into french and english yeah, and he and he points to the little kids, and and when he points to them, they say, yeah. "I got, I got, I got." <laughs> yeah, uh, that was great. And I have to I have to say too that Gene Kelly looked like an athlete. I mean, his his physique is. I mean, oh my gosh! Guy was was in tip top shape. He just looked like he floated yeah. when he when he danced, or even when he walked. Just the way he walked too, it was it was like so graceful. Well, his character is has more dimensions to it than than uh, maybe even they intended. I don't know when we look at these in, t- in light of today. Uh, so, well, I mean, the reason I think it's important, or at least that I wanted to talk about it, is because it did win an Oscar for best screenplay and best picture, and so and best picture. So, like, you know, I'm trying to unpack. There's got to be something here that is deeper than what I just picked up when I watched it the first time. And I think maybe we're kind of getting to that as we talk about it. Um, But if you just go into it from looking at it from today's perspective, he's just not a very likable character until maybe three quarters of the way through the movie. (laughs) He has his biggest change when he has that dream sequence when he's standing on the balcony. Yeah. I think that that dream sequence was was cool i mean it, it, it the way that it started off so we we skipped over a yeah. bunch of stuff there but but basically kind of what happens between milo and jerry is that they jerry finds out eventually that henry and lise are gonna get married and Henry doesn't realize that Lise was the guy, was the woman that that Jerry was in love with until the very, very end, right before that dream sequence. And then uh, Jerry has this dream sequence where he, I, I guess, it's sort of like he realizes what he really wants and what's important to him, and that that he really does want to be with Lise. And I had to watch it a couple times, but Lise also must have had a conversation with Henry in the car as they were headed yeah. off because they come back and and Henry's like cool with it, like he like lets Lise go to be with Jerry. So I thought that was nice, like that's a good friend thing to do because he realized that Lise really didn't love him, that she loved Jerry. But they don't show that, so that happens off screen. But yeah, I. Yeah, there's some small little details of the movie that that were nice, like um, Henry overhears uh, Jerry talking about to to Lise about how he loves her yeah, so that, much. That takes place on the balcony too, I think. I didn't know you were getting married so quickly. I couldn't tell you. Tomorrow. Yes. Oh, Jerry, it's so dreadful standing next to you like this and not having your arms around me. You'll always be standing next to me, Lisa.
Paris. Paris has ways of making people forget. Paris? No. Not this city. It's too real and too beautiful. Never let you forget anything. Reaches in and opens you wide, and you stay that way. I know. I came to Paris to study and to paint it. Because Utrio did, and Lautrec did, and Rouault did. I loved what they created, and I thought something would happen to me, too. Well, it happened all right. Now, what have I got left? Paris. Maybe that's enough for some, but it isn't for me anymore. Because the more beautiful everything is, the more it'll hurt without you. Jerry, don't let me leave you this way. And sort of yeah. uh, Henry gets the message that this is not going to work for him. Yeah. But he doesn't blow he doesn't blow up or confront Jerry. He just sort of like walks off. Yeah. I, I want to backtrack to near the beginning of the film where Jerry's putting his he's on his way to do his display along the street and he's coming up the sidewalk and there's a painter sitting there painting and it's Winston Churchill. <laughs> It's Winston Churchill. That's what I thought, too. I had to and rewind he, and I he, said, he, was that supposed to be Winston it, it Churchill? Was, I, I looked think it, it was. The, uh, the character of Winston Churchill was played by Dudley Field Malone. And, <laughs> and Jerry walks by and then he stops and he kind of has this look like, is that who I really saw? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I had to do a double Church. take. That was so and it's, funny. It, I think it's perfect because at that year, I think Churchill was out of... The prime ministership, I think the Labor Party had won. So he could very well have been painting. Just traveling around Paris painting, yeah. <laughs> that was funny. That was a that was really a neat little tidbit. And then um those two women that dance with Jerry and Henry, I just can't say enough near the beginning of the film, I can't say enough about them. I think that was uh by Strauss, I think that with the song, I forget the words to it, but that was that was so well done. The film is full of these beautifully staged musical numbers. Yeah, the other one that I was really impressed with was when they went to that party near the end, kind of right before the dream sequence, and they had there was a woman who was jumping off of the second yeah, can story. You, uh, yeah, this guy would catch her, and I, for the life of me, think that 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 woman actually jumped off and that guy actually caught her. I did not see any wires or special effects or anything. Not only did it happen once, there were it happened twice. Yeah, because then Gene Kelly caught her too. It was, Man, what if they'd had a mistake? Yeah, it was, seemed very sketchy to that me. That was as realistic to me as that scene in 12 O'Clock High where they actually crashed a B-17 bomber on film to make it look real. I mean the the risk <laughs> yeah, well, of something that was pretty real. They actually the did risk it. of something like that is is phenomenal. Yeah, I think they were actually coming off that balcony, and it had to be like a forty foot drop. Well, maybe not that high, but yeah, at least fifteen, I would say. Um, I would not have done that. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have either. Yeah, like if you came in, they said, well, today we'd like you to jump off this balcony and somebody will catch you. And this you. guy is going to catch you. <laughs> oh, good. 
we'll let... And what if he doesn't? Well, we won't think about that. Let's just let's just hope. And that we'll he does. be sure to put that scene in the film. Um... There was a funny scene during that party too, where uh, uh, Milo is getting a drink with Adam, uh, who's Oscar Levant's character, and Adam says something to her about how Jerry's a kept man. Yeah, <laughs> but speaking of Adam, that cowboy outfit that he was in, <laughs> oh, yeah. that, was that didn't something. look too far out of place, did it? <laughs> no, not really. Did, were you as amazed with his performance when he was playing the keyboard uh, in that uh, dream sequence where he's doing all the parts? He was actually doing that. That was him playing. Oh, I was every time he oh, played, I was like, I was impressed. Yeah, it was like this manic energy. It was just crazy to watch. It was so good. In real life, according to this play that we went to, that's how he was. Very manic. He could wear you out in one afternoon. <laughs> I felt kind of bad for Milo, though. I, I, I don't know. I feel like she was a little bit lost herself, you know, and she was trying to find some companionship. And the way that she was going about it maybe wasn't going to be that successful. Um, apparently based on what her friends were saying at the cafe, you know, it was kind of like the string of short-term relationships that she'd had. And as she walks away from that bar that, or that, yeah, I guess it was a bar where Adam told her that we don't see her again. No, no, we don't. That's she the last we see of her. That, uh, 17 minute, uh, interlude with him dancing that went on and had 44 sets and all the Gershwin music, the, the dream sequence. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing piece of work. And I was thinking that he had a similar one in uh, Singing in the Rain. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, it was also pretty avant-garde, that last bit of Singing in the Rain, I think, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I was reading that, that they wanted that last number to be very impressionistic because the director was um, very into that impressionist style of painting that was popular in France. Oh, okay. And so when you look at, there are some really, really weird costumes, uh, people dress the way they were dressed in that. I paused it a couple of times. I was going to take some screenshots, but yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of weird. It was, and it, <laughs> it was it has, just, I don't know how many, 10 different changes of, of the places they were in a number of changes. Yeah. Man. And some of the sets look like paintings, you know, yep. like the like three-dimensional paintings that had come to life, which was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. No wonder it cost $500,000 in 1951. Wow. Several million today. Oh, yeah, for sure. I do think that uh, near the end of the film, when she's getting out of that car down below the stairway, and uh, I, that looked to me like that was actually outside somewhere. It didn't look like a studio shot. Um, yeah, maybe. It's hard, it's hard maybe. to know because they did a nice job of going back and forth. 
when they did because at the opening they had some great shots of Paris. Yeah, they did. They did have a second unit go out and get shots outdoors, but the, 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 they weren't any shots with actual the actors in oh, them. Oh, okay. Um, so they they filmed at the Metro Goldwyn Mayer Studios and Paris, France, for second unit exterior photography. So I I I gotta believe that that was actually on the studio stage. Well, that was a that was a well done one. So the the title could be an American in Paris. In Hollywood. In Hollywood, yeah. <laughs> uh, an American not in Paris. <laughs> so, uh, the, have we have we kind of covered the main... Yeah, I don't think anything else. The only other thing that I thought of as I was watching it again was I thought it might be kind of a neat way to end the movie if Henry and Milo sort of ended up together or at least they if if they left you with a hint that maybe Henry and Milo uh, would would be together you know like maybe they kind of locked eyes or they they were dancing and had like a moment because then maybe that's too like neat and wrapped up tidy with a bow but I I would have felt better for Henry and Milo at the end if they had ended up with somebody well, been, yeah <laughs> they just disappeared <laughs> yeah. well um would you like to go first on our rating of An American in Paris? Sure. I, I gave it an eight. So um, I think if they had handled the relationship of Jerry and Lise a little bit differently, like I described, I probably would have given it a 10 because it would have sat with me. Like I would have made more sense to me and I would have liked Jerry's character more. Um, and I don't think that I, I I'm not I'm not 100% sure that the way Jerry comes off was was as intentional as maybe like that reviewer on IMDb made it sound. Um, so I feel like they could have done a little bit different thing there. And of course that's easy for me to say, but <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how I thought about it. So I'm I'm gonna stick with my eight rating on that. Well, I'm 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 now in the uh, the area of doing two ratings for these films. <laughs> I, I give two ratings for I give, everything. I give ten to the film for the music, and the and the staging of the dancing and all of that. I, and I I love the music. There's so many excellent songs. And then I'd give it a seven for the uh, the story, the plot, and that sort of thing. So I guess that comes in at about an eight and a half, which by the way is a really good movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Eight and and half. An Italian <laughs> film, but anyway, it's it's real well worth watching. Uh, it got mixed reviews when it won the uh, Best Picture award, so I think a lot of people had the same feeling at the time that we're we're expressing now. Yeah, yeah, the musical numbers were amazing, and i I would watch it just I would watch it just for those. Yeah, just the, just seventeen uh, musical numbers back to back. Yeah, they either needed to dial up the quality of the drama in the script between the musical numbers, or they needed to dumb it down even more so that it was just about the musical numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So kind of like the way that it landed for me was it, it just didn't quite they didn't quite dial it in enough one way or the other. Because I remember on I think on the town, the drama was really just to connect the musical numbers, oh, right? Yeah. Like there, there really yeah. wasn't a lot to the story, and that was totally fine because it was it was all about the musical numbers for that for that for movie. that movie. Also, having it filmed on location was a big thing for me. It just made it yeah, more that real. made a difference. 
All right, so that was that was our review of An American in Paris on a soundstage at MGM Studios in Hollywood. In, that's in parentheses of the title. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from North Bend. And this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles wishing you all happy movie watching. <laughs>